Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the China Shop. We are so super stoked you made it today. Get on inside. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. Kyle, you excited today? I'm excited today. It's not every day we get to talk to someone who's a tax specialist. The guy who wrote, who is writing the book on how to avoid paying taxes. <laughs> the book has been written. It just has to make its way to sh- shelves. Let me, I yes. am proud to introduce folks. The wonderful uh, CFA, Lance Belline. How are you doing today, Lance? I'm doing very well, Dean. Lance, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what, what exactly do you do? What is the person who teaches people how to avoid taxes? How are you not on the like the FBI's most wanted list? <laughs> well, uh, the background, short background, uh, is you know I started in the financial services industry right out of college, not necessarily because I had uh, a clear vision of what I wanted to do, is because I probably didn't have great grades and I didn't network and intern at the right places. And so I kind of found the financial services industry by default, uh, maybe by divine intervention, you know, looking back. And so, uh, you know, over my uh, 20 some years of a career, I've, uh, you know, it's evolved and uh, really probably took off. And, and that as far as what changed my life personally, and then also through my clients is uh, at the age of 37, I formed a, a mastermind group or a think tank because not being the smartest person in the room, I wanted to try to surround myself with other financial firms and advisors that we could share yeah. ideas and best practices and concepts. And so from that, uh, ever since then, I had an individual in that group from Seattle. His name was Rich Stewart, kind of threw out a concept to me, which I thought sounded absurd and illegal when he says, I'm going to show you guys how to take money out of an IRA and not pay taxes. And I was like, hmm. I don't think you could do that. I didn't think you could either. That's not what an IRA is for. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to show you how to, to get, live off $109,000 of dividends from your stock portfolio and not pay taxes. And so huh. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I said. Huh. <laughs> and I've had a partnership with the CPA uh, for t- over 20 years. So I came back and said, Travis, Wipe your calendar clean. We need to sit down. I got some neat things to share. And we spent about a half day using his tax software. I would say to kind of validate some of these concepts. And and, uh, when the light bulb went off in his head, like, Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is real. This got slaves. And so it's something, uh, you know, I'm currently 51, uh, something I've been implementing myself uh, uh, and our clients ever since. And, the purpose of the book was I really wanted this to reach more individuals and have a bigger impact on people's lives. And then just, you know, say our, our, our network within our firm. 
Are you worried that telling all these secrets is going to make the tax code change? I, I am not because this tax code has been in existence for a long while. And uh, I'll give a, a little bit, you know, when the timing's right, I'll give the background of that as far as mm-hmm. why I don't think it, uh, you know, it's going to create a, a radar or right, hot spot for anybody's <laughs> strategy. That's good because I do want to talk about like the history of taxes since we got somebody who went to school and learned about them. Well, I, de- I, I uh, definitely have learned mostly because, you know, my partnership with my CPA partner. And so uh, in conjunction with the other advisors, but, you know, the tax code system is, is fairly basic, but at the same time, it's very misunderstood. And many individuals are not uh, knowing how to take advantage of it, legally take advantage of what the tax code ha- has been written. Why? You know, in investing, and I love your podcast as far as, uh, you know, strategies of, uh, of, of stock uh, investing, but I think the biggest way to move the needle as far as accumulating wealth is not necessarily a, a stock strategy or investment strategy that's going to get you an extra 1% or 2% or 10% return. But what if you can decrease the amount of taxes you pay by 15 or 20% on an annual basis uh, and for 20 or 30 years? Yeah, that's the first time I think I've ever heard anybody explain our tax code is simple. <laughs> In fact, I think one of my questions is why is it so complicated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you describe it as simple. Can you explain uh, explain why you think that? Yeah. Have, have you been drinking today? <laughs> <laughs> it is five o'clock somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Always. Yeah. So the tax code is. I think we are shaped. Every American right now always thinks about the present day, right? How do I pay less taxes today or this year? Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is expand your horizon and say, how do I pay less taxes over my lifetime? Not necessarily in 2022. Hmm. So the tax code has two sides of it. The left side is your income tax rates. And there's seven rates. The lowest rate is 10%. The highest rate is 37%. Right. And there's five brackets in between. And as your income increases, right, you step into another bracket. Uh, if your listeners you know, are blessed to have incomes over $650,000, then their income over that's getting taxed at 37%. I would say they should be very thankful, right, that they have that opportunity. Right. I would. <laughs> yeah. On the other side, so that's the left side. On the, the right side, there's three tax brackets, and that affects uh, the listeners on this because it affects their stocks that they are purchasing. Mm-hmm. If you're in the 37% income bracket, then your capital gains and dividend tax rate is 20% on a federal rate. Right. If your income is in the 12% bracket or below, which is that means your income is $83,550 or less. You're in a 0%. You have a 0% tax rate. Mm-hmm. And the listeners that are in between 83550 up to 650 have a 15% capital gains tax rate. Right. So you don't want to really qualify for that 0% tax rate when you're accumulating wealth, right? Because if your income is less than 83550 married, finally joint, you probably don't have a lot of excess income to invest. <laughs> right. Right, barely, you're barely paying the bills. But what you have to do is is think in the future and go, hey, if I want to be financially independent at 50 or 55 or 60, which is you know kind of common ages, how do I camouflage or decrease the, uh, t- and take advantage of that 0% tax rate for the 20 years that I'm going to be in retirement or longer? 
Right. Okay. That makes sense. And so it's kind of like a delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. I find many individuals actually think tax rates are really high right now. And they're actually not. I, I encourage your listeners just Google historical federal tax rates. And there's a lot of graphs out there, but they're going to find that tax rates in as high as 90%, 70%, 50%. I remember the 90 years or reading about those. I don't think I was alive for that. Yeah. The Eisenhower years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah when the like- government needs revenue, they get <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not an economist. I'm not saying I'm going to predict the future, but I do know our federal deficit is pretty high. I do know our social uh, programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, right? Financially, mm-hmm. going to be bankrupt. And I am wanting to position my wealth so in the future, if tax rates are higher, that I will not be negatively impacted, or I can position my wealth so that I'm not having to pay those higher tax rates. Before we, we jump down that rabbit hole, uh, just a clarification on the capital gains rates. Is that an all or nothing, or is that a graduated income, like the income taxes? Yeah, all in. Okay, so as soon as you make a dollar more than, uh, what was the, what was you said, 83? $83,550. So if you make $83,551, then suddenly you're paying 15% versus zero. Kyle, thank you for clearing that up. I'm gonna I misspoke because I misunderstood. So you would only pay the fifteen percent tax rate on that one dollar. Okay, okay, that's what I thought. So your first eighty-three thousand five hundred and fifty qualifies for the zero percent tax rate, and then capital gains or dividends above that gets taxed at fifteen percent or twenty. But not but not all your income is coming from capital gains if you're the average person. Like if you if you do have some investments and you're collecting some dividend checks, you probably still have a job too. Right. Like how is that treated? That your income plus your dividends or capital gains gets added together. So if, let's say if you have a W-2, right, and my from your employer of sixty thousand, right? And then you have capital gains of fifty thousand, you would add those together. Right. And minus eighty three five fifty. Okay. And that's the amount that would get taxed at fifteen percent. Okay. Simple, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So now let's go back down to the the uh, delayed gratification strategies that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. De- First of all, trying to convince anybody that delayed gratification is the way to go is the same as trying to convince somebody to invest. So uh, you got. Starting an uphill battle at that point, it seems like to me. Yeah, yeah. Do you find people resisting that or, or having trouble planning that far in the future to see any results from from moves that they're making today? Yes and no. I say yes because we all want that instant gratification and pay less taxes today. So that's what we're initially thinking. Yep. But when you elongate that out, and you and then they see these significant tax savings later, it's kind of like uh, going through a diet, right? We all hate going through a diet, but if we know we're going to lose 15 pounds from it, mm. we're much more willing to do it versus maybe will I use 15 pounds. And so uh, that's that's what I have found. This The numbers are so much in their uh, person's favor. It kind of goes, well, this is a no-brainer. This is what I need to do. Gotcha. So what uh, what are some of the strategies that you, you talk about then? What are some of the things that we could do? Well, I think the terminology yeah, that we need a, a, your listeners to learn is uh, because it's an investing podcast, right? Everybody probably is aware of the term asset allocation, right? Positioning and buying stocks in different sectors, right? Or sizes. But I want them to have a new terminology that would be asset location. 
how are how is our investments located based on how they're going to be taxed? And so there's three I would call them buckets uh, that they could invest in. And bucket one is what I call their pre-tax bucket. Mm-hmm. That would be like a 401k or an IRA or a uh, deferred compensation plan where when I put money in, it was it went in pre-tax. Right. So therefore lowered my taxable income or and then it gross tax deferred. But when I take it out in the future, that's when I have to pay income taxes. Right. Bucket two is what I call your after-tax investment. So this is where I take some excess income and I purchase a stock, bond, or mutual fund or real estate. And during my accumulation years, when I'm hopefully making a high income, that's where you're going to incur a 15 or 20% tax rate on that money. Mm-hmm. You're also going to get that fund 1099, right? Some interest income sometimes, right? From your financial institution. Yep. And your bucket three is what I call your tax-free bucket. So that's the opposite of bucket one. It's where I put in money after tax, and then it grows tax-deferred, and then it's withdrawn tax-free. And that would be a terminology like Roth IRA, Mm. Roth 401k. Uh, Health savings accounts kind of can get caught up in that as well. Right, right. Uh, 529 plans for education, for college education. Okay, so so then it all becomes just a kind of a dance of how you a- allocate your assets between those three different vehicles. That's right, and the, and the goal would be, in essence, to have balance in retirement. Mm-hmm. And so let me walk you through a quick analogy. Let's say you had a million dollars in each bucket, in your pre-tax, after-tax, and tax-free. Okay. And you say, hey, I would like to live on $120,000. I've now reached hopefully retirement age and I would like to stop working. Right. So in order to get you $120,000, what I would do is I would take 4% in theory from each of my buckets. So that's $40,000. Okay. 40 times three adds up to $120,000. Yep. The 40,000 for my pre-tax bucket is what is considered my new W-2 because I'm no longer working. So I'm not going to get a W-2 for my employer. But that 40000 that I withdrew from my pre-tax is taxable income. So it's taxed like a W-2. Like you made it. That's correct. The government allows every taxpaying citizen a what's called a standard deduction. Yep. That's what I use. Yeah. That's $25,900. <laughs> and that gradually is adjusted up with inflation. But then in 2022, it's 25900 Okay. Oh, nice. So... Last time I looked, I think it was 24, and I was really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going up. So if you take $40,000 minus the standard deduction of 25900 you would get $14,100. Okay. That is what is considered your taxable income. All right. And what about the rest of the money that you're pulling out then? So then you would say uh, that is an important number because if your taxable income, if you recall earlier, I said is less than 83550 Mm-hmm. You qualify for the zero percent tax rate from your after-tax bucket, bucket two. So if uh-huh. that forty thousand that you uh, uh, got from a stock gain in your portfolio or dividends from your uh, portfolio mm-hmm. is taxed at a zero percent rate, you now qualify for that zero percent tax rate. Uh huh. So okay. forty thousand times zero, pretty easy math is zero. Right. And then with your Roth account, because that's already, you paid the taxes up front, 
that's also not counted yeah. as income. Yeah, it's tax free. So now you're making one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, but only having a tax burden of what fourteen thousand? I think you said one thousand four hundred and ten dollars because you pay a ten percent tax rate on that fourteen thousand one hundred dollars. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I can that's see a, that's less than one and a half percent, right? If you did the math, right? Yeah. One thousand four hundred and ten divided into one hundred and twenty thousand. So then it really, it's just a game of trying to figure out where you're going to split up your retirement savings then. Yeah, exactly. And, and the old school way of thinking, right, was because it was just what we were accustomed to, right? We, there were, uh, we were putting a lot of people are putting most of all their savings in bucket one, right? right. Getting the immediate tax benefit. Yep. And then when they and then they, they accumulate, let's say instead of a million in each bucket, they accumulate three million dollars in bucket one, and they want to live on one hundred and twenty thousand. Well, they have to withdraw one hundred and fifty thousand or one hundred and sixty thousand or something like that in order to net one twenty. Right. And that keeps their taxable income above the twelve percent bracket, which is eighty three thousand five fifty. So now they're paying capital gains taxes all their life. Right. Yeah, I could see the problem there. So why was that the standard wisdom before? Because I do remember, I remember when Roths like started to really start to get big and I started investing in them because I could see the benefit, but they didn't really seem to have the same, like there's not as many opportunities to invest in those. It's only been recently that companies have started even offering those as part of their retirement benefits. Yeah, you're right. And it was, uh, it's astonishing of how slow companies took to ad- amend or add the Roth feature to their 401k plan. You'd be amazed that when they were allowed to do it by law was in 2000. Really? Yeah. Now, Roth IRAs came into existence in 1996. Right. Thank you, Senator Roth from Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. But there was a caveat. Do you remember the caveat and why they weren't really popular at the beginning? Uh, no, I think I was just starting high school when those came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there was contribution limits. They were very small. Oh, that's right. Yes. And there was also income limits, meaning if you made a, over a certain amount, you can, you contribute to them. Mm-hmm. But the government knew, you know, that this was going to, you know, they could have problems in the future. So they limited how much you could contribute that the, you know, that started, Roughly two thousand dollars. Now it's up to right sixty five hundred dollars. Uh, there's catch up contributions, right? If your listeners over fifty, but still, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to accumulate a lot of wealth there. And the Roth four hundred one k feature, even though would allow companies in two thousand, I'm in Northwest Arkansas where you have Walmart, Tyson, JB Hunt, major corporations. Right. They didn't amend their plans until two thousand nineteen and twenty. Wow. And so people that. The nice thing about the the 401k is there's no income limits. Plus, I can contribute a lot more, mm-hmm. right? I can contribute up to you know twenty thousand five hundred dollars this year versus sixty five hundred. And it doesn't matter if I make a million dollars or if I'm making you know a hundred thousand dollars, I can still contribute that amount. And so that's why I think the bucket three uh, category has not been uh, it's not as new and it's not as known uh, and. That's kind of why, you know, is I think we're a little delayed and why, you know, again, it's something I didn't catch until, you know, later in my career. Uh, and you, you said that you don't think that there's going to be anything that changes with that in the near future. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Uh, the tax code is built to, to, to protect uh, the middle America, mm-hmm. right? 
the working class. And generally speaking, those are individuals who are making right less than a hundred thousand for sure, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if the rich, meaning people that are making over a hundred thousand, get a fifteen percent tax rate, and the filthy rich have to pay a twenty percent tax rate, they have to have a better tax rate for for that that next lower class. And so the 0% tax rate has existed for a while. And it's because the government in theory knows that they're not really giving up any revenue. As again, we said, if you're making married, finally joint and you make, and you have a family of two or three, you don't have any excess money after you pay the bills and the mortgage and put food on the table to go buy a stock, right? Mm -hmm. And so the government's not really missing out on any revenue. Something seems wrong about that. That feels kind of dirty for some reason. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. <laughs> you have no money, so we're not going to worry about you. <laughs> yeah, but they just, is, and they have to make it on paper sound like, right, they're getting a better tax rate. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that, you know, exists. I think you've, oh, what was the, pol- uh, the politician? Uh, he was, he got noted, he was a Republican, but he got, you know, exposed because he had an income of two or three hundred thousand dollars, but he only paid, uh, I think it was like twenty thousand dollars in taxes. And that's because it all came from dividends and capital gains. Right. I think Warren Buffett was saying something about that, too, uh, how he pays a, a lower tax rate than his secretary. Yeah. I mean, if, if he lives off capital gains, he's paying a 20 percent federal tax rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and paying his uh, secretary pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> I would <sure>. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for, if I'm accumulating wealth from this point forward, this, especially my younger clients and, and for your younger listeners, I would be accumulating most of my wealth as if I could in buckets two and three. Right. No longer bucket one. Pre-tax should be used. And I say, I never say never, right? But I would say, I would focus on a huge... Well, if it's your only option, I and mean, you really don't want to give away the um, the the company matches if you're if you're lucky enough to have one of those. Yeah, that's true. And another misconception is I won't get the company match if I do a Roth for, uh, contribution in my four hundred one k. That's not the case. You still get the match. Mm-hmm. The, the match goes into the bucket one from the company because they want the deduction, but your contribution can go in the Roth or pre tax, and you'll still qualify for the match. So if you if you're working for a company and they have a Roth feature, I would strongly encourage listeners to consider transitioning to the Roth. That's- and a misconception idea. And if you go do calculators, right? Roth versus pre-tax. Mm-hmm. There's a, a saying, I guess, perception versus reality. The Roth calculators online will always say, well, hey, you had to pay taxes on that contribution. So you really didn't say, right? The $6,500 in your Roth, right? Because you had to pay taxes on You have to account for the tax uh, taxes being paid. Mm-hmm. But that's in reality, they still, they did put the 6500 in. What they did is they just went without something. Meaning they didn't, I don't know. Let's say they didn't, they don't even know what they missed because none of this can account for a level of income. But they, they don't miss going out to dinner. They don't, they didn't sacrifice the vacation, but somehow they spent less money because their their income spend a lake on with it because they paid the taxes there. And that's what I find is reality is not one of my clients when I had them switch from pre-tax to Roth, they still save the same dollar amount and they never sacrificed anything. Like, hey, 
after a year, I go, what did you have to give up? And they were like, nothing. We still did what we wanted to do. And it's because none of us can keep track, micromanage our finances that way, right? We just, we all, we all spend on things when we have it. We just... <laughs> So uh, can people from the lower ends of the net worth ladder, can they benefit from these ideas too? Oh, they definitely can. But again, you have, if they are very, they need to be really good stewards of their finances in the accumulation period, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's not a lot of excess dollars. If uh, the lower your income is while you're, while you're growing and accumulating wealth. Uh, And I like my recommendation to individuals that are, you know, maybe say, Hey, I don't have a lot of excess income. I'm having troubles identifying ways to save. I would, you know, I have a story in my book about the $10,000 Coke and, and all those analogies. I bet everybody sometimes goes into the convenience store, right? On a daily basis, they either buy a Coke or a coffee or something. Right. And that costs $2. And let's just say, you know, an hour, and it's, it's, it could be more, but $2 times five days a week, right? $10 a week. T- times four weeks, $40 a month, right? If they would save that, right? Not sacrifice that one purchase, which would not alter their lives whatsoever. Over 10 years, they would have $10,000 accumulated. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that, we, you know, the lower your income is during your accumulation years, you just need to be more creative as far as, and thrifty as far as in order to invest. And right. hope you don't have any disaster in your life that requires you to spend money. Oh, yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Great point. Uh, where can people learn more about Ross? Do you have any uh, or the different vehicles that you that you mentioned? Is there is there somewhere that they can go to that, that you think is a good source for explaining the differences and how to utilize these benefits? Yeah, the, I would say my website is my name, Lance Belline, B-E-L-L-I-N-E dot net. And on there, I have some resources that people can download. One of those is what's called an asset organizer. It's just a, a, a glorified, you know, souped up Excel spreadsheet. But what it does is it says it helps people identify what they need to do is, well, what does my current asset location look like? Like what percent of my wealth is in bucket one? What percent is in bucket two? What's in bucket three? Mm -hmm. And then based on when I'm saving a year, what will be my future wealth, you know, look like? And so they can kind of put their their assets, uh, accounts and dollar amounts in those of course, they can also go to our website of my company if they ever want to get some resources and uh, you know free consultation from an advisor. Uh, that's uh, my company name is Lighthouse Financial. So that website is uh, www.lhfinancial.net. Lhfinancial.net. We'll make sure that's in the episode description as well. And then the book. Yeah, yes. the book, I have it all kind of spelled out a little bit as well as far as deep going in a little more detail as far as each bucket and going through that analogy I just did as far as having an income of 120000 right, and only paying $1,410 in taxes. And yeah, there's a lot of more ways you can massage it uh, as well, but uh, those would probably be the best resources. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those. Can we talk about a little bit more about retirement? Uh, there's been, I've had some questions that I wanted to ask somebody who might be more of an expert than me. You bet. Um, I've seen a lot of articles, and this was even before uh, inflation started getting out of control, tra- uh, telling me that a million dollars is not enough to, uh, to, to be able to retire. Why then do I see so many people who have retired with much less than that and seem to be doing just fine? Yeah, I would call, there's two things, uh, and two analogies I'd say that 
one that sometimes what you think they are fine, right, and doing right, mm-hmm. and I call it uh, a big hat, no cattle. Uh. <laughs> so on the surface, they look like they're doing great, but in reality, they're not. Okay. Hey, that's just like me. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem like there's a lot of people that manage to survive on just Social Security, and then if you have anything extra on that, then... Is that just because uh, pensions were a thing and aren't anymore? They have a good uh, Yeah, I think they have what's called a good break. You know, I call it a break, a break and accelerator. An accelerator is when you have the ability to make money. Mm-hmm. A break is your ability to, to not spend money. Ah, uh, okay. And so a lifestyle, right? It, it, it's, you do not have to make or live off, I don't know, let's just say $200,000 a year to be happy. Mm-hmm. I have clients living off $60,000 a year and are much happier, right? Yeah, there's probably less to clean. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's about a lifestyle choice, you know, uh, and knowing what that is uh, and living within that lifestyle. All right. what, what about Social Security itself? Uh, there's always seems to be those fear mongering going around that Social Security is going to run out of money or it's not going to be around when it's time for us to take it. But, uh, you know, they say that every year and every year it's still there. Yeah, it's not going to go away, obviously, just because the politicians are going to keep that and for right. The, the, the taxpayers are not going to you know, be very happy for a politician goes, well, I think we need to take away Social Security. Well, they tend to be the ones who vote, too. So <laughs> exactly. And the baby boomer generation, which is has right more retire, you know, every year more more people are retiring from that generation. So I think what they'll do for the younger taxpayers are uh, they're going to continue to delay when mm-hmm. full retirement is right you know a lot of times full retirement i remember 20 years ago full retirement was 65 mm-hmm. and now if you go on you'll probably see it's 66 and six months or 67 you know yep. so they're gonna i think they'll continue to delay when full retirement is mm-hmm. and again i also am under the opinion i think if they need to protect it they're going to raise revenue Oh, right. Which they've been raising the ceiling, it seems like, every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've only been lucky enough once to not have to pay. Uh, I hit the max where I didn't have to pay any more Social Security, and that was a really nice That was a really nice year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think they're going to continue to raise the caps of what, how much of our income is going to have to contribute or get deducted, right, from Social Security. Mm-hmm. Do you ever just uh, look at the um, the benefits of taking early versus uh, delaying as long as you can? Like, where where's the cutoff point where that well, like you have to live a certain amount of years to be able to make that worthwhile as far as uh, uh, the total benefits you receive? Correct. Yeah. I, I, generally, there's a lot of calculators out there, but uh, if it, in general, it's about eighty two to eighty three. Meaning, if I take Social Security early. Mm-hmm. Right at 62 or 63. If I live past 83, then I would have been better off from that point forward from delaying, right? I would have gotten at that point more money from out of the Social Security system. My contention with that has always been though, what happens if you're taking it early, but you don't need it, but you're just investing it? Mm hmm. Isn't that better than like possibly there's a cost? Uh, yeah, there's a loss of opportunity if you're not using that money and letting it work for you in a better way than Social Security does. Uh, I agree, Kyle. Uh, you definitely could have that uh, uh, discussion or debate or argument, right? Uh, to, uh, to take it early. 
And another another thing you have to evaluate is life expectancy. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to gamble. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm 84, 85, I don't know if I'm really care if I get an extra five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> right. I don't know you if know I'm going to be around at 85 the way I live. <laughs> but i also don't want to be you know 85 and also like wondering okay now what i just spent everything and now i'm fucked (laughs) hard my french so there's Mm -hmm. definitely a balance between the two i suppose yeah there is for sure uh what are some of the things that your clients come to you that uh that you wish that they knew earlier in life they just started saving younger uh earlier uh anything else that's the primary uh, one i see uh because you cannot you know, uh, comp- the compounding of wealth, mm-hmm. right? We, the, the rule of 72, which is like what rate of return I'm making divided into 72, that's when my money doubles. So a 10% annualized return, your money would double every 7.2 years. It is the best thing, right, ever for a per, but if you start early, mm-hmm. right? Because that last double is, so, is worth so much uh, money. And then, you know, now from this point forward, I'm trying to educate younger investors to, hey, let's think about the end game in mind. It's, it's more than just saving. Let's save smart. Let's save strategically so that in the future, you can dramatically pay less taxes. Mm-hmm. And then I would also follow that up with don't get emotional, right? This market is so unpredictable. You're never going to be able to get your arms around it. It's never practical. It, it, it's just one of those things that the only thing that is consistent is that 76% of the time the market goes up and you make money and 24% of the time it goes down and you lose. And you just have to, those are good odds, right? If you were going to Vegas, you would take those odds. (laughs) I would. Yeah. It's just, we always get very emotional. You know, we're, we're designed, we're created to get more emotional about losing money than making it. And it just hurts so bad when we're losing it. And we tend to say, I should do something. Like, I need to fix this. Mm. And your best strategy is not to try to time the market, not to try to outsmart it. Just stay invested. Right. Unless you're willing to put in a lot of time and learning and effort. And even then, I wouldn't even mess with my retirement accounts. I don't even look at it if the day is red. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll look at it when it's green just because, like, ah, it feels good. It's going up. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, less than it was a month ago. It went up today. That that satisfies my emotional need to see the money increasing. I know. It's the only thing. It's weird, right? We, everything else, we like to buy things on sale. Mm. But with investing, we always like to buy things when it's full price or at a premium. <laughs> Why do you think that is? That's a great point. I don't know. It's, it is so odd. Like you go into a sales rack or a store and it's 20% off. You're like, oh, let's go. Right. Not. I've got an answer for this. Go ahead, Dan. It's the same reason we have a, a cheaper version and a luxury version. People feel like they're getting something better if they pay more. Mm. Uh-huh. Like, look at your luxury car, your, your BMW German engineering thing that's going to break in five years when you buy it new. And you've got your Hyundai that's going to last you 15. Well, a lot of people, if they've got the money, they're buying the the car that's going to wear out quicker because it's a luxury car and it's a status thing. So like by buying an investment at a premium, you feel like you're getting a better investment. I would only, the only thing I'd change about that statement, Dan, is I'd pick a different manufacturer than Hyundai. (laughs) (laughs) Because my daughter's car, the engine just blew up on it. (laughs) Oh, well... (laughs) So, so yeah, I agree in, in theory, but maybe Kia or... Okay, well, uh, <laughs> Kia, 
Hyundai <laughs> Kia is the same company, man. That's that's funny. That's funny. Oh, Stay oh, with Brandon Gibby, your brain. Damn it. <laughs> you got me again. Yeah. Anyway, that that would be my my thought on that. Is is like we 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 were like, oh, it's a well, it's a great investment. That's why I put so much money into it. Well, and then it's also the you mentioned the emotions too. It's not just that. It's the when it's going down, we think it's going to keep going down. It's a bad when investment. Right. And then when it's going up, we think it's going to keep going up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then we also, it takes us too long to realize that oh, like, we don't believe it when it first starts going up. It's oh. until it's too late. That's when we start thinking, okay, it's definitely going up. Now I want to buy. And that's when everybody else is selling. And then you don't believe it's going to keep going down because when it first starts selling, like, oh, I just bought this. Oh, it's a vicious cycle. The, the motions <laughs> of the markets. If you haven't seen that chart, uh, Lance, that's something you should share with your clients. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The market cycle of emotions. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I have that in my book, kind of a, I call it an investment, the, 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 a roller coaster of emotions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is a roller coaster for sure. And uh, we're always usually delayed, right? And as you all just said, so when it's really good, we start overloading, start really piling it on. And then if it starts going down, we do the opposite. We start selling, stop investing, which is the opposite. You, you know, if you're accumulating wealth, you want to buy as many shares over your lifetime as you can. So mm-hmm. you want to buy them when they're on a discounted sales price, not as at a premium. But it's just not human nature unless you have a good discipline. And mm-hmm. uh, I think many people think they can outthink the market and they can pinpoint why it's going down or why it's going up. And in my 20 some odd year career, I would just say you can't. It's, it's good luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, the couple of years that we've been trying to learn how to be active traders, um, it, it can be done, but it is very difficult. And it really is you that you have to, to that's the that's the weakest link. The, yeah. the the best pe- the people who are the best at doing it are about right about two thirds of the time. Mm-hmm. That's about the or best you, you could ever hope for. Yeah, and yeah, even forty percent is good enough. But uh, yeah, yeah, forty percent, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's easier to do too when you're accumulating wealth and you're you're investing smaller dollars. But let's say when you get to real wealth, right, your last five, ten years, or even in retirement, right, right, and you're trying to do that with a lot of money, it gets harder and harder to do. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also a good point too. Is your time frame is what should really be justifying your decision to buy? I mean, if you're looking for, if you're not retiring for another 10, 20, 30 years. Like it doesn't matter what the price is right now. It's going to be higher in ten years. At least you've got history on your side to tell you that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have a lot of data on that. As far as you know, if you uh, the amount of uh, five year rolling five years, rolling ten, rolling fifteen, and rolling twenty that you didn't make seven percent annualized, mm-hmm. and you know when you, you get out to the twenty years, that's a ninety nine percent of all historical twenty year periods you made over seven percent. Uh, the only one time you did it, you made six point, you know, I think four eight percent. So, but you know, even at five years, seventy eight percent of the time you make over seven. But there's also some rolling five years where you actually have a negative return, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I, I also feel like in retirement, uh, I'm a big believer in dividend stocks, and you know, you should just you know, transition your portfolio to a dividend stock portfolio because one thing I mean, you can't use the word guarantee with dividends, but no predictability is definitely one, right? You can increase your odds by doing a little bit of research on the ones that have been paying them through the shitty times. Yeah, for sure. And and there's even an index called the dividend aristocrats. Mm. 
you don't even have to research. You know, if you don't want to get into that, you just purchase the dividend aristocrats. And that, in order to qualify for that, a company has to have paid dividends every year for 25 straight years. Not only that, they've had to increase their dividend every year for 25 straight years. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a, what's the name of that fund again? The dividend, <laughs> <laughs> the dividend aristocrats. Yeah, the, the dividend arist- aristocrats. It's a, yeah, I think I've heard of them before, but I've heard of the, uh, the aristocrats joke. Oh, what's that? Oh, I can't tell it here. It's famously the most filthy joke in the history of jokes. <laughs> well, now you have it. to tell it. It's a long joke. I'm not going to tell. Uh, okay, it. okay, okay. You tell me off air. I want to know. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Dan, you got any questions uh, for Lance? Um, yes. Do you ever think that there's a situation in where it's a good idea to pay taxes? <laughs> <laughs> like that pause, huh? <laughs> I, was like, yes, I, I, like... <laughs> I love that pause. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I again, we discussed... The in, in history, we have been over the last 15 to 20 years historically in a low tax rate environment. Uh-huh. And so, if you are, have a belief or c- concern that tax rate, you know, you know, that we've talked, I don't complain as much about paying taxes today because I feel like tax rates in the future will be higher. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, that's how I would say <laughs> it's painful, but. I would do that. And that's why I, but when you're accumulating wealth, Dan, I would say that you should, unless you're really, really good at it, because as you know, the tax, you know, when you're in bucket two, right, your after tax investments, uh-huh. I think you should trade very little in your bucket two investments because you're incurring either the capital, long term capital gain tax rate of 15 or 20%, or if you write sell before 12 months, you're incurring your income tax rate. Mm-hmm. I think you should do a bunch of your trading and the strategies you guys might implement in either your bucket one, but really in your bucket three. Because if you say, "Hey, I'm going to knock, I'm going to hit home runs," you want to hit home runs in your tax-free bucket, right? Right. So that hundred thousand dollars grows to two million dollars or something, and you're not yeah. having to pay taxes on all that growth. So I would just say, strat- uh, trading strategies, maybe implement your active trading strategies and bucket three investments Mm. have passive strategies and your bucket two investments. Right. Okay. Well, bless you, Lance, for answering my joke question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is something that you do feel pretty strongly about, about taxes being important, Dan. I do, but uh, I don't, I don't want to make the interview with Lance about my personal beliefs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good interviewer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how did i do on that answer though dan uh i thought i thought you did a good a good job uh, uh you acknowledged and you accepted taxes and then you reaffirmed your message of like look you can pay taxes and still build wealth yeah there's no you don't have to he's not saying you're not going to pay no taxes we're not looking for a way to completely cheat the system. We're just looking to, to, to make things a little easier for us. Well, and, and uh, I, would, I would actually, and I don't know if you do this in your book, but I would also spin it as giving uh, every man the power of somebody like Elon Musk who can keep their, their uh, wealth generation in shares 
and right. it's not income yet, right? Like, oh, I generated that wealth, but it's in my Roth IRA. It's in something. So it's not taxable yet. Ha, beat them at their own game. Ah, yeah. Good job, Lance. Thank you. Was that, was that old <laughs> SNL skit? Uh, the, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Dana Carvey pretending to be George Bush, the, the first one. Mm-hmm. You can't tax the rich. They're too slippery. They can't tax slippery. the poor. They ain't got no money. <laughs> Who's that leave? Who's that leave? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it oh. sounds like Lance is leveling the playing field. Yeah. yeah. That book comes out uh, November 15th. Yeah, November 15th. Uh, and it's more wealth, less taxes. And what? Uh, where can that? Where will that be available when people want to check it out when it does? They can do pre-orders by going to my website, uh, lancebelline.net, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, do pre-orders there. It'll also be found on you know online. You know, and I, I have a hard time mentioning Amazon because I'm in Walmart land, right? Oh, right. Day, on my Walmart <laughs> class, if I ever say Amazon, they start shuddering. And so <laughs> walmart.com, I, I should say walmart.com first, Target. You know, I even get in trouble when I say Target, but and then also Amazon. It's pre-orders available there as well. Should we have Dan bleep Amazon when he says that? That would be fun. <laughs> All right, Lance, anything else you want to leave the guests with? A funny story about that. So we have uh, literally, you know, Walmart land. And so that's our target market. And I have a notebook just, you know, uh, writing notes. And it, you know, came from Amazon and they saw that. I thought I was going to get fired over it. Really? They're like, what the heck is this doing in here? Like, and I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, and it's one of those things you don't even think about, right? Because right. Our, our, my assistants, we, you know, just go online and buy that stuff. And so they used to say, we're, uh, I learned from that, uh, that example. So when you say the Walmart uh, people, are you talking about like the family, the Waltons? Well, Walmart home office is in Bentonville, Arkansas. And so that's, I'm in Fayetteville, which is 20 minutes away, right? And so my office yeah. is 10 minutes away. So all the, you know, Walmart, you know, home office is here. So all the execs and, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those people. Uh, you don't yep. want to be sporting Amazon. <laughs> no. Does Walmart have a podcast app? We'll make sure we uh, we promote a, this episode on there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lance, this has been uh, really good and glad. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties getting started here, but I'm glad we pushed through them. I am too. You guys have been great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the conversation, learning some new stuff, uh, some new strategies. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that book, More Wealth, Less Taxes, when it comes out November 15th. And also, if anybody wants to check you out, too, they can check you out your website, uh, just your name, Lance uh, Bellin at uh, .net, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, what was the other one? Um, uh, company website, uh, lhfinancial.net, and that stands for Lighthouse Financial lhfinancial.net. We'll make sure all those links are in the episode description. Uh, if anybody wants to check those out, please do. Dan, uh, do you want to take us home? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for sticking around to the end, folks. We love you so much. Uh, thank you, Lance. This has been a great, great episode. Uh, we're really glad uh, that we, we connected and then you came on and, and spoke with us today. Some really great stuff. Very honored. All right. And folks, sadly, you know, every every day we open the shop, we've got to close the shop and we've come to that time. But we will mm-hmm. be back at you soon with another episode. And until then, happy trades. Now enjoy these nice messages from Walmart, hopefully. Yes. Cue the, uh, cue the ads. Cross right. my fingers. <laughs>
Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.